Recently, somebody asked me what I do for a living. And I was at a loss. I wanted to give them an answer because I knew in asking the question that they were trying to learn more about me. Like we all do when we meet somebody new. We ask them where they are from. We ask them about their family connections. And we ask them what they do for a living. Because all of these things make up one's identity. I've recently had conversations with people I know who have children who are under 20. And we were talking about gender and how the generations of descendants that are coming have a very different experience of gender. My one friend's son, he said when he was 10, he was talking to him about gender, perhaps on an assignment from school. And he said, what gender do you consider yourself? And he said, his reply was, an attack helicopter pilot. <laughs> Which is such a non sequitur that it demonstrates a radically different experience of gender. In another story, my cousin told me that she was at the farmer's market with her two children who were 10 and 12, let's say. And they were sitting in the parking lot and she had gotten these mango lassies for her children to drink. And the woman in the car next to her rolled her window down and said, Oh, those drinks look so delicious. Where did you, um, where did you get them? What are they? And she told her. And when she rolled the window back up, her daughter piped up from the back seat. Um, what did that person want? And my cousin said, oh, that woman wanted to know what kind of drinks you were having because she thought they looked good. And her daughter said, how can you be sure of that woman's gender? 
You just called her a woman, but how can you be sure of that? And so when asked what I do for a living, what do I do for a living? In truth, I aspire to become liberated for the benefit of all beings. I aspire to dedicate my life to become liberated in order to free as many other beings as possible. This is the path of the Bodhisattva. Because we are all interconnected, and I love these words, in a magical, illusory web, because we are all interdependent, meaning that we are co-arising. One being's enlightenment can have an enormous effect Every seemingly other being that is touched that that vibration of enlightenment affects the entire web of existence. In the view of quantum physics, if everything is light, and light or energy functions as a particle in which it appears as matter, or as a wave or is it, it is experienced as light or sound. Then what we call enlightenment 
is when all of the light or energy appears to jump in frequency or vibration. We use the words lower and higher to describe this, but of course there is no low or high. In the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which describes the process of death and reincarnation. Our Buddha nature, of which we are, described as Empty lucidity pervaded by awareness or capacity. When that nature is obscured The primary obscuration is described as ignorance. Ignorance of one's true nature. Ignorance in believing that we are a separate self, a separate material self. And when we descend, if I may use that word, into material form, just as the vibratory nature of a hummingbird and a rock or a light wave and a rock. There's a density in the rock and that density obscures the light. And so it slows down the frequency. This is not to say there are not high frequencies or vibrations in rock. Of course there are in crystals. 
In fact, our salvation may lie in crystals, which were used by our distant, distant, distant ancestors in Atlantis and Lemuria. Even in our science fiction, in Star Trek, they use dilithium crystals to power their warp drive, which enables them to cross the barrier of the speed of light. Because in the density of crystals is contained an enormous amount of potential. And when that potential is unlocked, it can be used for While language is so difficult because, and it may be particular to the English language, but it always comes out in these dualistic terms because I was going to say good or evil. And that potential, like I'm describing, is contained in a crystal, is the same as the potential, the infinite potential that is in our own consciousness. In the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and also in the Buddhist teachings, they describe this true nature as being like a flawless gem or a crystal. In which anything can be reflected. And yet Anything that is reflected in the crystal, the gem, or the mirror is the other. Mirror, of course, is also a type of crystal. That anything that is reflected does not tarnish the crystal itself. And yet there is still a power in this crystal, in this infinite potential to transmute
I think we have all had experiences where our worldview has shifted. And of course, there are many things, many experiences that have led to that change in worldview. But when the worldview changes, when our perspective changes, it often happens in a moment. In the Tibetan Buddhist teachings, this nature of mind is pointed out by uh, what is described as a qualified master. A qualified master is one, is another being who has not just recognized the nature of mind, but has a steadiness in the nature of mind, is never apart from the nature of mind. and is part of an unbroken lineage of beings. Who are steeped in the nature of mind. Who are dedicated to the well-being of all. And it is described that some people have like lightning strikes um, when meeting such a being or sometimes just spontaneously. I know a Sufi teacher who had an experience of awakening when contemplating a Zen koan. Or in the case of people like Eckhart Tolle, there are spontaneous awakenings of beings. But in my own case, it has felt more like polishing a diamond. Somewhere in his commentary in the Yoga Sutras, BKS Iyengar describes samadhi, meditative absorption, as also using the image of a of a diamond or a crystal and he says at first when you look at the at the gem you can see a light inside the gem And when you realize that you are not separate from the gem, that there is no difference between you and the gem, then 
Everything is light. I suppose that's why they call it enlightenment. In the Buddhist teachings, this is also described as emptiness. Like I said earlier, empty lucidity. Lucidity is light. Empty light, which is full of capacity or readiness. and therefore has infinite potential. In other words, anything is possible. Here comes the rain. The incredible rains, the water of life is sweeping by. This beautiful volcano in the sea, in the Pacific, in the sea of the Pacific in which I reside. And so there are these outstanding stories from the past of humans with capabilities that we don't imagine ourselves capable of now. In a commentary I read of the Yoga Sutras, which was written by a Indian man who was also a head of state at India. He said in in the past that if people wanted the capacity to fly, then they would do this by turning inward. and creating the capacity, not creating, removing the obscurations from the belief that one could not fly. Whereas in our current times, we created machines, technology, external to ourselves in order to fly. And in, the, in this, there is a concretization of self and other.
a limiting of our capacities. And as Charles Eisenstein eloquently says, more eloquently than I will say, the aspirations that we had for technology to save us are letting us all down. In fact, the population of humans has exploded on this planet. And in order to support all these humans, which are somewhat parasitic, at least in their current form. We have turned towards technologies that enslave nature and destroy nature. And do not honor Mother Earth. The word for Earth or land in Hawaiian is Aina, which means that which or she or being which see there's that gender thing again the being that feeds us that nourishes us as we move towards very different times For those of us who think that we are going back to normal, I am sorry to say that we are not. I am both a realist and an idealist at the same time. In fact, I think our hardest days, our hardest years are in front of us. While the old structures and systems are falling, are crumbling, they are still somewhat intact.
before this shift is over, I am sorry to say that many beings will die. But as I spoke of before, when energy is trapped in matter, which is what being in human form is, it's like that energy I described that potential being encased in a crystal, densified into a crystal. And when that potential, that energy, that light is freed from matter, there is a lot of power in that. One of the key practices in Tibetan Buddhism is taking advantage of that moment when the consciousness is freed from matter, which we call death. It is not really, there is no finality to death. If we are able to recognize our Buddha nature at that moment when consciousness is freed from matter, then we are able to recognize our own mind, our own true nature, and to become enlightened. Meaning that we do not have to return to samsara, to this world of concrete conceptualizations, of obscurations, unless we so choose to do so in order to help other beings. And so you see the enormous potential available when many beings transition from what we call life to death. And as I described, this enormous potential can be used for good or evil. And so are, the, are those of us who are here 
to shepherd that shift, that power, that energy towards the awakening. so that we may make a jump in vibration. And there is no doubt in my mind that this infinite potential will be shepherded towards the good. But for those of us remaining in this realm, Earth realm, Gaia, it may appear disastrous. That huge shift in, in energy potential will also shift the earth on its axis as has happened before in the past the earth shifted on its axis due to misuse of technology and it caused the oceans to shift and the land which was above water and below water to shift and whole civilizations perished and the same will be true this time Except for now, we are in a certain flow of karma, of cause and effect. In order for us to become more in touch with our deep interconnection with the being which feeds us, we must understand where our food comes from. We must relearn how 
to feed ourselves. Not using currency, which is an illusion anyways. But by growing our own food, by raising animals humanely, so they may also sustain us, and by honoring those who grow the food, who raise the animals that sustain us. the global agricultural system that has been created since World War II, and by the way, was fueled by weapons research. Most all of the additives that we use in modern farming technological farming, such as nitrogen, which was developed in a lab as a bioweapon, pesticides, herbicides, all bioweapons, bioweapons that we have integrated into our food source and are killing us. Because the soil and the microbes within the soil are what make up our microbiome in our intestines. When you look at the human body, the, the way that we take in nutrients through our mouth. When we are born as a baby, this tube which runs from our mouth and our throat down into our stomach and intestines and out through our anus is a hollow tube which actually um, has some separation from the rest of our body and is permeable in places in the small and large intestines. In the small intestines, we take in nutrients that go into our bloodstream. And in the large intestines, we extract water. So that the water will not be wasted. 
But this tube is completely empty when we are born. And one of the reasons that babies or young children put, put things in their mouths is in fact to seed this microbiome. We start by seeding our micro microbiome by placing our mouth on our mother's breast. And that is why it is so important to breastfeed. As this is the beginning of creating this collection of organisms. Which help us to convert what we call food into what we call a physical form. When you think about it, it's quite amazing. And when you think about it, it makes you deeply consider what you are putting in your mouth. When you think that whatever you're putting in your mouth is becoming your physical form. became so far away from the soil. Then, and when our soil becomes completely depleted of these microorganisms, then This affects our ability to take in the nutrients of food. It affects our immune system. It affects our hormonal system. And all of the modern diseases that are the major causes of death, heart disease, diabetes, organ failures like kidney failures, cancer of all types. can often be traced back to the environmental hazards in our food system. To the denigration of our own microbiome, 
which is reflected in the microbiome of the soil. Luckily, with some care, it's not that difficult to regenerate soil, to enliven it with microbes. These little bodhisattvas, who, these little light beings who service the plants, My good friend here, her family, is trained in and dedicated to a practice of farming called Korean natural, farm, natural farming, in which these microorganisms are cultivated and are key to um, key to the whole system of farming. They even put these, there's a cultivation of a, of this micro, microorganisms and then this solution can be sprayed on the soil or sprayed on the plants. Or even they spray it on their dog. And without bathing, the dog, dog's coat and skin and overall health are improved. And the dog doesn't smell anymore. Although I think that dogs like to smell. Well, it smells bad to us, maybe. But I think they like to have a strong smell of their environment. I think that that is their preference. And so these earth changes that are coming, I urge every one of us to find our place in the coming year. By the, by the end of 2022, Please find your place. Find your place where <clears throat> you can know your neighbors, where you can 
grow your own food. If it is possible, be able to generate your own electricity in some way. Buy an old-fashioned radio. I bought a radio on Amazon that has a crank you can crank um, to charge the battery. It also has a solar panel on it, although I haven't tried, tried to charge it solarly yet. You can also charge your phone off of this uh, crank-operated, battery-operated radio. And it wasn't very expensive. I want to say it was like $25 on Amazon. We will have to go back to relying on other human beings, on community, on our neighbors, in a way that many of us have not before. Those of us who are used to using currency to get our needs met. With this return to community, to having neighbors that you know will bring you a nourishment that you had forgotten that you needed. For many of us, our life purpose will become clearer and clearer and it will have nothing to do with what we do for a living. We will no longer slave away for a big company in which a few people are profiting immensely. Of course, some of us will continue to do that kind of work and will turn to corporations for refuge. And there is nothing wrong with that.
some of these corporations will indeed create a sanctuary in exchange for people's lives. Their lives will not be separate from this corporation. This has already started happening. I know many people who work in technology companies where they are provided with all their meals as part of their job. And you might think of this as a benefit, but really what it means is that you are living your life at the corporation. You're not taking the time out to have those meals with your friends or your family, but you're having them at your work. And again, there is nothing wrong with this. But understand the choices that you're making. And some of us will feel that we must secure ourselves in order to secure other beings, other family members who we support. We will all have to make very hard choices. I find myself in the privileged, privileged position of being not responsible for any other beings. Of course, I am responsible for many other beings. But no other beings besides my cat are explicitly under my care. But many others dear family members and friends who have children will feel they need to make very difficult decisions on how to best protect and secure a future for those beings. And I ask only that they act from a place of love and not from a place of fear.
We do not do any favors to our descendants when we, when we do not teach them resilience. And resilience comes from difficulty and hardship. For if they cannot handle the current situation that we're in, they most certainly will not be able to handle the future that is coming. So allow them to explore, allow them to expand so that they may know their own abilities. For it is when we challenge ourselves outside our comfort zone that we build this kind of resilience. I never ever would have expected that I would be able to build a house And in fact, I still do not know how to use many of the tools that built this house that I am now living in. My mind is not... geared towards, I do not have what I'll call an, is an engineering mind. Although I did come up with many solutions in the building process, in talking to the beings that are building this house with me who do have what I would call an engineering mind. But sometimes my mind was able to come up with solutions that were not obvious. For example, when they were building the roof, they had to put big pieces of plywood Uh, up across to span the rafters. And it's on a slope. So I suggested that they put a two-by-four across the span so that when they bring the... um, when they bring the sheet of plywood up there, 
that they could just slot it into the two by four and then nail it in. And therefore the, um, the, the, piece of plywood wouldn't slide off the roof. Now it's pretty heavy, so it may not have slid down the roof, but imagine that's sort of disastrous. And so that was one of the ideas that I came up with. But the process of actually laying down that piece of plywood and nailing it in. Of course, I, I definitely could have learned that skill. But it's not something that brings great satisfaction or joy to me. And I've had the blessing of having people who when I see them work it does give them great satisfaction to do that kind of work with their hands to build something and it has been more my presence Although I have done work on the house, I've definitely done work on the house. But it's more been my presence, the energy of my presence, which has helped to build this house. Because I've noticed over the course of these months, There were many days where I was here on site with nothing to do because the people who were working on the house didn't need my help for the work they were doing or I was physically not capable of doing that work because some of the heavy lifting I did not have the strength for. And so I would be here for an entire day with nothing to do. And it was frustrating. Many days I was, I felt frustrated because there's such an ingrained pattern of feeling like you have to physically do something in order to be productive. And so some days I would pull weeds or find something else to keep myself busy. But I realize now that it was my presence, that, that the energy of my presence was actually helping those who were physically doing. This was described in the sadhana practice that I am currently doing as part of the Tibetan Buddhist lineage that I practice in. It is a green Tara practice. Green Tara, the goddess of compassion, 
removes fears. In this practice, there is a visualization in which you become Noble Tara. And from the heart center, from the seed syllable Tam, light rays emanate. And those light rays purify the realm and all beings in it so that it becomes a Buddha realm. And this is described as the activity of the deity. And what was said that we believe that activity needs to be done with our limbs of our body as something that we do but that in fact activity is simply this radiation of light and the lighter and higher the frequency of light that we are emitting the more the potential. And so it goes back to something that I realized some time ago, that the greatest effect that I can have on other beings and this world is to work on myself, to work on, on clearing <clears throat> the obstructions to my experience of the true nature of mind. And so then I don't have to do anything. And so the physical creation of this house is symbolic. Of course, I did use currency to buy all of the materials that this house is made out of. 
and to pay those who are working to build the house. But is watching energy turn into form. And through the intention of this place being <clears throat> a place of refuge, <clears throat> a sanctuary, a place of peace. The Hawaiian words that have come to me so far are la'a, which means sacred, and malie, which means pacific or peace, sacred peace. I built this house with the intention of having a place of refuge that would support a lifestyle of dedication to spiritual practice. And of course, spiritual practice can be done anywhere doing anything. But it is much harder, in my experience, to stay true to this practice when I get caught up in worldly pursuits. I'm reading a book called Blazing Splendor, which is the life story of a Tibetan Buddhist master, Tukul Ergen Rinpoche. And he describes when he is young, wanting to be a wandering monk practitioner, not monk, wandering yogi practitioner. And yet, because he's recognized as a reincarnation, a, tulk, a tulku of an enlightened master, he is enthroned at a monastery and the responsibilities of that monastery come with a lot of responsibilities and less of an ability to purely practice.
I said to my one of my Tibetan Buddhist teachers, we call Rinpoche, which means precious being. Um, several years ago now, I said, I would like to be a full-time practitioner. And he looked at me and he said, are you able to do that? Meaning, do you have the means to support that kind of lifestyle? And I said something like, oh, I, I, can, um, I can make money when I need to. Something like that. And he said, oh, you have street smarts. And later when I told uh, my friends who are his um, attendants, they said, oh, that's highest praise, street smarts. I don't say this to... Um, I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm saying this to explain that over the course of my adult life, I have performed work for money from what would be considered the lowest, like a house cleaner or working in a shop for minimum wage to working at a corporation and making a lot of money. In fact, if I was still working at a corporation, I would, I would be making probably a lot of money right now. And yet the majority of my life would be dedicated to making money and mostly making money for somebody else, and mostly making money for somebody else who, whose intention for their life is not to benefit a lot of other beings, but just to hoard resources. When I came to this island, I gave myself some time to get adjusted, six months to be, adjust, to be adjusted to being here, and I had the good fortune to be able to do house sitting. So my expenses were fairly low, and um, I was teaching some yoga. So was making some money and I had some money saved and thanks to my father, I was completely free of debt. My father did me the great, great gift of relieving me of some credit card debt that I had amassed through 
a variety of different situations. And after about six months, I started to feel that I needed to, it was time. I wanted to establish my, yes, this is my new home. I want to establish myself here. I need to get a job so that I can continue to be here. Interestingly, there was also, even though I'd never, ever really considered having, buying a house, having my own house. It had never really been a priority for me in my life. As soon as I got to this island, even the first time I came just to visit and see if it was the right place, I had started to look at property. It's very interesting. And, um, and so in wanting to be and knowing this was my place, I, I also started feeling like, yes, I would like to own a home. And so I thought, well, in order to do that, I'm going to need a job. I was thinking more conventionally at the time that I'm going to need to get a mortgage and, um, and buy a home. And so I started to look for work and apply for jobs. And this was in September of 2019. And so I applied for a whole range of jobs. I guess I have the good fortune of, like I said, of having a lot of different ranges of experiences. Um, and so I applied for uh, a job to be a tutor for foster care children. I applied for a job to be um, a seasonal help at Target. I applied for a job um, to be a home health care worker through um, an agency. And I applied for a director of marketing job at the botanical gardens here on this island. And I was offered the job as a home health care worker. However, my experience at the interview, it was a full-time job and the woman who interviewed me was the supervisor. And at the interview, the first interview, first and only interview that I had with this company, the supervisor revealed at the interview that she was hung over because the night before she had drank in a bunch of Everclear. And I didn't think that was a good sign <laughs> that, that the supervisor was drinking Everclear on a weeknight and, um, and also that she was talking about that in an interview. So 
I was offered that job and did not take that job. I was also offered the job to be the tutor to the foster care kids, and that was a part-time job. Um, it was only like 10 hours a week, so I thought, well, that um, is less of a commitment and something that is dear to my heart. I have worked with foster care kids in the past, and I love working with kids and have taught kids in the past. So I did take that job. Um, but I continued to, uh, I did get an interview with Target and I continued to support, I continued to, um, pursue that because like I said, the other job was not full time and the Target job was also going to be part time. And so I thought, well, I can piece those together. And, um, and then this was, uh, so I had applied for these jobs all in September and then they were sort of coming together and I actually started doing some of the tutoring work with the foster care kids. And um, I was doing that for about a month. And then the botanical gardens uh, contacted me. I thought, I, you know, I thought, well, they must have already filled that position because I never heard from them. But I've heard from them, and they asked me to come in for a uh, an interview for the director of marketing position, which was a highly paid position, and particularly for this island, because this island is not a very um, it's a very rural rural place, and um, there's not a lot of high paying jobs, and so. Uh, I was also asked to come in for the job at Target, the seasonal help at Target. And so I was interviewing with these places at the same time. And I would have been happy to do any of these things for a whole range of pay. And ironically, I was not given the job at Target and given the job as a director of marketing at the Botanical Gardens, which was a full-time job. And so I gave up the tutoring of the foster care kids. In truth, that job, I don't think I would have lasted that long because I... I just felt like I was working a lot with very young kids, like five and six year old girls and boys. And it was really hard, you know, after they've been sitting in a classroom for most of the day, then they're sent to me and they want me to sit at a desk and do more work with them. And what they really needed is emotional support and to play. And so it was difficult. It was difficult. I didn't feel like I was doing them a, a service by making them do worksheets or whatever, when they really just needed to be hugged and to go and play on the swings. So 
In any case, I did take that job at the Botanical Gardens. It was a huge shift after being self-employed and only working about 20 hours a week um, teaching yoga or doing um, marketing consulting work to be in a 40-hour-a-week job that you have to go to office. And I did feel a big shift in myself. But the reason that I took the job was not because of the money, although that was part of it, because like I said, I wanted to finance my new life here. But it was because the executive director had a vision for transforming um, or growing and expanding the botanical gardens to be a um, a place of a uh, model for sustainability. Because the botanical gardens makes a profit because it charges for entrance and has memberships. And so because of the tourist um, trade on this island, the botanical gardens is able to make a profit. And so what he wanted to do is take that profit and because it is a nonprofit, um, to take that and to buy some adjacent lands and um, create these models for sustainability to partner with other organizations around this. And I thought, well, that's, that's something worth investing my time and energy into. And then COVID came. So I was only in that job for four months before the garden shut down and I was laid off with most of the other staff. And thinking back now, it seems like it was a long time ago, but it wasn't really that long ago. Those, I, I was remembering those, the beginning months of when we were on lockdown. Do you remember when we weren't supposed to leave the house except for to go to the store? Which seems completely absurd now because of course, the stores were so crowded. So we were staying home in order to stay away from other people, but yet we were going to crowded stores. And then of course, the essential workers, quote unquote, all the poor people working for minimum wage that didn't have that luxury of staying home. And when you think about how much our world has shifted from 
those first moments in March of 2020 until now, and the future will be even more radical. And so this is a time for us all, like I said, to find our place and also to look very deeply at our purpose, our individual purpose, which goes beyond how we make a living. There's an exercise that I do periodically. Perhaps you've heard about it be- before. It's something, it's like a vision boarding sort of exercise um, where you make a circle and then you divide that circle up into different quadrants which represent your life. So if your entire life is that circle, then you divide that circle up into different areas that you want to devote your life to. And uh, let's say two years ago, I did this exercise and it was 50% of that circle was spiritual practice. One quarter was nourishment and another quarter was relationships. And then I had a conversation with my dear friend and teacher, Victoria Austin, um, and who is a Zen priest. And in that conversation, I realized, she said, well, you know, actually that's all spiritual practice. And I was like, oh, right. It's all spiritual practice. Um, and then recently I did that exercise again. And what I saw was myself at the center of a mandala, and myself sitting, being as a light being. And this mandala of activity unfolding around me. So that is what I mean by purpose. For example, being a mother. being a husband, those are still identities. And so what I'm trying to say is that what I'm describing as my purpose is not actually an identity. It is just resting in my true nature. 
which is identity-less without identity. Because it is not static. And identity is inherently static. Although our identity shifts actually all the time, moment by moment. And so I guess I will sign off now. This has been a long long revelation. In fact, this is the I started calling the migraines that I've had for the last 6 years or so. I start, I renamed them. I rebranded them as revelations. But in fact, um, oftentimes there are revelations that come with the movement of, en- movement of energy. And so I hope that these words bring you some peace bring you some purpose, provide some hope, and courage. May we all be liberated. May we all be liberated. May we all be liberated.